0: Well, we're going to get ready to begin a new series. We're going to start going over the book of Galatians. And I've entitled the message today, One Gospel, because this is the introduction, uh, to the the first chapter is the introduction to Paul's letter to the to the churches that are in Galatia. Now, the churches in Galatia are, are today probably in the area of present-day Turkey. This was written between A.D. 48 and 55, so a few years after uh, uh, after Jesus had, had, had passed and been resurrected. And that the argument of this letter, the, the argument in total in some of this entire letter to this church in Galatia is that man is justified by faith alone in Jesus and not by the works of the law. There's nothing that we have to add to Jesus to make sure that we are saved. You see, Paul loved his converts and he loved the churches that he founded. And he had a great desire for all of his churches to continue to glorify and honor Jesus. But he was starting to become a little bit concerned. He's become deeply concerned because in Galatia, the churches of Galatia, things were starting to get a little bit out of whack. He had preached the gospel to them. Now something else was trying to creep its way in there. And people were starting to to lead his churches astray. So we begin this chapter as... Paul lays out the issue. He begins to say, as we'll see, he says, you know what? What is this other gospel you guys are turning to? And then he begins to lay out his credentials for who he is. He's like, you know what? I, I brought you the gospel. And it wasn't from a man, but the gospel is from God. I'm an apostle. Yet you're letting somebody so easily lead you astray. They're, they're, they're distorting the gospel. Actually, they're, they're preaching in a, an entirely different gospel, a different message to them. So Paul admonishes him. He says, why are you guys being so easily led astray? The gospel that he delivered is the one gospel, and it's delivered by God and and not by man. So therefore, another man can't come along afterwards and begin to change it. So let's go ahead and get started. In Galatians 1, 1 through 5, he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men or through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who were with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul begins his letter by declaring and defending his credentials. He says, Look, guys, I'm an apostle. There's more to this. I'm not just some random guy in the street. God called me out to deliver this message to you. He says, I'm an apostle, so as such, I need you to understand that what I'm saying to you is from God. It's not just pulled out of the sky. Therefore, you need to take that in consideration when you're hearing stuff from other people. He says, I'm an apostle, not from men or through men, but through Jesus Christ. He also makes it clear by saying it's from Jesus Christ that this wasn't some clever job interview that he had. He wasn't being friendly with the hire he wasn't good friends with with Peter and Paul when they were in high school, so he gets together and says, "Hey, can you bring me in on this?" But Jesus actually pulled, pulled Paul aside, and when we we'll look at the Damascus Road experience, G, or Paul had a face to face experience with Jesus. He was called and he was appointed by Jesus Christ into this role this is actually why when we raise people into leadership in the church it's not just a job interview we recognize the calling of people on their life we recognize that there that God has a place for them that God has called them into those positions it's always seemed strange to me when I see here here pastors going out for job interview after job interview because I don't understand that idea Uh, you know God has called you into a position Pastors shouldn't be able to be hired and fired just on a whim, and except for gross negligence. There's, if God calls them into a position, that's where they need to stay. It's not just a job, but a calling. And then we also begin to see Paul, as always when he begins his letters, demonstrating his heart to the people. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins by praying, albeit briefly in this letter. A matter of fact, Something interesting about this letter is, is Paul dealing with a pretty severe issue, so it doesn't have the lengthy introduction a lot of his other letters do with the lengthy prayers. He says, you know what, grace and peace to you guys, but we've got something to deal with. We need to get on with it. But you still see his heart. I mean, he's, he's praying that God's grace would be upon them, peace would be upon them. And when I look at Paul, he's someone that I want to imitate. He's someone that I want to be like. I want to look at people the same way Paul did. And as a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Something that I want to look at as we go through this first part of the letter is that, that Paul is actually a man that we want to follow, a man that we want to, to imitate and be like in our lives. Paul's an example not just to leaders in the church, but to every single one of us. He's addressing people that are dealing with some pretty serious serious issues coming up. they got some some shortcomings that could could cause them eternal issues if they don't get things straightened out. But he doesn't give up on them. He's not like, guys, you know what? I taught you this stuff. Why are you being so stupid? You know what? I'm done with you. I'm done with this. I'm walking away. He's never like that. He's always there caring for the people that he ministers to. He doesn't wish ill will on them, and he doesn't give up on them. I think as... As a people, we are too quick to give up on people, I think. As soon as people start messing up, we just want to turn our backs on them and let them them get on what they're doing. But we need to be a people who care for people and that are going to continue to be available and to reach out to people. It's so easy for us to push people away, but our example is to always draw them back in with love and, and help them as they're getting through their difficulties. Then he goes on to say and reiterates that, that Jesus gave himself up for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. He begins to, to give a, the brief outline, the central idea of the gospel. And the central idea of the gospel is that Jesus gave his life for ours. It was an exchange. We gave him his, and he died on the cross, and he gave us his perfect life so we could stand before God, pure and undefiled and holy. We also see that it's the will of the Father. It says, this, Jesus giving himself up for us was according to the will of our God and Father. It is God's will that all of us should be saved. He sent his Son to die for all of us. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And in Matthew 18, 14, this is Jesus speaking. He says, so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. We begin to see a picture painted throughout the gospel that, that Jesus went to the cross for every single one of us. The ones of us that have done horrible things by the world standards, the ones of us that have lived pretty good lives, the ones of us that have lived for God, then made mistakes and fell back. He died for every single one of us. There's not a single person that is excluded from the grace of God. And then he finally ends his brief introduction by giving God glory. He says, our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, whenever you, you look at how Paul addresses people, one, he's praying for them, he's wishing the best for them, he's wishing grace and mercy in their lives, and then he gives God glory. That's the kind of man that I want to be. I want to make sure that in everything I'm giving God glory, that there's no, I mean, it would have been easy for Paul to say, man, look at how things are going for you now. I started this church. You guys are going great. You guys are doing me wrong. But it wasn't about Paul. It was always about them and about God. Paul was a man who loved those he ministered to and a man who worshiped God fully. He deeply cared that the churches that he founded stayed true to the Course and continued to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. And he was not a man who was going to make converts and then just abandon them. You know, something that I saw when I, I did some the, the, the mission, the work that we did in Africa training the pastors is that sorry, my thing's messing up. Um a lot of times the, the, the missionaries went over to Africa, they they ministered to the people, they, they made converts, they picked somebody in the in the crowd, smacked them on the butt, called them a pastor, and left. You know, and, and there's people that are that, that, that were called to be pastors. And they don't even have a full Bible. They have like the handout that they were given with a few scriptures on it. And they're they're trying to lead churches. That was actually what we did when we went over there is, is we trained other pastors. And I think that, you know, we look at that and we're like, man, that's amazing. Why would they do that? But we do it all so often in the, in the Christian church today too. People get saved and we never, we never talk to them. We never follow up with them. We're, we're like, high five, someone gave their life. Look how good we did. And then we never talk to them again and they fall away. They slip away. And that's not how we want to be. We want to make sure that we're a people that follows up and cares for people. It would have been so easy for Paul to say, you know what? I gave you the good stuff and you messed up. But he didn't. He cared for them. He followed up on them. He didn't abandon them. In Acts 15.36, it says, After some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. It was his heart to follow up with them. In 2 Corinthians 11.28, you see that he says, And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He cared about these people. He cared about his churches. Most of the New Testament that we have today was his follow-up care with his churches. Thessalon, first, first and second Thessalonians is to the churches at Thessalonica. The first and Second Corinthians are the churches at Corinth. We have to the Galatians, the Colossians. he 's doing aftercare following up on these people that he ministered to. Paul was a man that was worthy of our imitation. He 's a, he's a great example and an example that we should all follow to the best that we can. Amen? Galatians 1, 6 through 6-7 says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You know, what I find interesting about this, this isn't even my notes, I just actually noticed it right now, Was that he said, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. The actual problem that we're having here is that they're mixing grace and the law. As we go forward through the next few weeks, we'll see that, that they're trying to intertwine the law and grace, make the Jews happy, make the Gentiles happy. You know, you can get saved, it's only through Jesus, but you've got to be circumcised as well. It's just works in the law. And if you think about it, these guys that are intertwined, they're still preaching Jesus, right? And in their case, at least it's the right Jesus. But they've, Interspersed to law, but Paul says that when you do that, you are deserting him who called. Even though they're still preaching Jesus, they've deserted him and what they're preaching. He says, "Who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel? Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ." You see, Paul had already ministered to the Galatians. He actually founded this church. These churches in Galatia were they were his church plans. And they had the correct word preached to them. You know what? If you had Paul coming and preaching in your church, you're getting the good stuff. But now something's a little out of whack. Something is a little messed up because they're, he says they're quickly trading in what he had preached for something else. But he makes it clear that, you know what? There isn't another gospel. There, there's only one gospel. So what was the problem? Is it someone had started distorting the gospel? They had taken something and added to it. They were beginning to see this idea that, yeah, Jesus is the only way to salvation, but there's a few other things that you have to, to mark off on your checklist as well. They were saying that you needed Jesus and works to be saved. And we actually see this a lot in churches today. That, oh, Jesus, you, know, you need Jesus to be saved, but also if you, ever, you know, if you ever make a mistake or you do this and that, there's these other lists of requirements that you have to meet. In this case, they were dealing with circumcision. They needed to be circumcised so that they could be a Jew in order to accept Jesus. But there's a real simple formula that's understanding if we've got salvation right. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But Jesus plus something, anything else, is nothing. We've, we've missed the mark as soon as that point has been hit. And like I said, we see this today in other versions of Christianity that are prevalent across the United States and really across this world. Is it the, that there is a distorted gospel that they're preaching? And this, this distorted, it's not what I call it. This is what Paul calls it. If you're not preaching the gospel from the, that he preached, it's distorted. It's been changed. But the problem with it is the real danger that we see in it is it's so close to the real thing. It looks so similar that if you're you're someone that that hasn't heard anything else before and you hear what they're ministering to you, you're like, man, this, this sounds great. And it's so close to the real thing that it's so easy to get sucked in and deceived. They begin to think that they're on the right path. And, matter of fact, a lot of these, they even use the same terms that we use and the same words and the same people. But they mean completely different things. There's some out there that would, that would claim that they're Christians and preach Jesus, but it's not even the same Jesus that we're talking about in our Bible. It's a different Jesus. Or they begin to have a list of rules and regulations that you must follow, these things that you have to meet if you want to get into heaven. It's always Jesus plus something, but like I said, the real danger is it's so close to the real thing. It's so you know, Paul was astonished that they were being you know pulled away. But the truth is, is they're so close that it's so easy to be deceived. That if you're not if you're not well versed in your Word, if you're not well versed in what God has to say, you can begin to even believe what they're telling you as they distort scriptures, they twist things. It's actually why it's so dangerous to let many of the people that will come and knock on your door into your house. Because they'll, they'll begin to try to, to deceive you into to their way of thinking. Even the, And it's so close if you don't know your scripture, if you don't know your words, you can easily be pulled in. But the truth is that we have to be careful who we trust. And we have to ensure that what they're saying, what they're speaking aligns itself with the Word of God, particularly when it comes to salvation. Now, I'll be honest with you, there's a, there's a lot of other of, uh, Christian denominations out there, and we, we have little things that we believe differently. Some of them believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like we do. Some of them don't. Some of them believe that you... And, and little minor things that are different. But the main Gospel that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Every major Christian denomination, we agree on that point. There's no other way into heaven except through Jesus. But there are other, denomina- there are other so-called Christians out there that have a little bit different outline of, of how to get into heaven. So I'm not talking about the little stuff. We're talking about the gospel being distorted. Amen? Yeah. But we have to be careful who we trust when it comes to that stuff. There's once a, 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 national, a photographer for a national magazine and he was assigned to shoot one of those big forest fires, like we see in California. So he he told he's got to be at the airport, and he's going to get on this small twin engine jet, and they're going to fly him out over the over the fire, and he's going to take great pictures. So he gets to the airport, and lo and behold, there's a jet out on the on the on the runway. So he sees it, he runs and jumps on, and he he jumps in. and He says, "All right, let's go." So the pilot kicks it into gear, takes off, and they're flying. And the photographer says, "All right, I need you to." Uh, to fly over this this fire i need you to get real low and tilt the plane because I... and the guy goes you want me to do what and he goes i want you to fly over the fire get real low and tilt the plane he goes why do you want me to do that and he goes because well, i'm a photographer i'm here to take pictures i need you to get close to the fire to take pictures and he goes you mean you're not the instructor You see, the problem is is both of those people had entrusted the other person to do something that they weren't qualified to do. Our authority should be in the Word of God. The authority of God. Not in preachers, not in friends, not in relatives, or any others, but it's solely in the Word of God. And if what people are saying doesn't align correctly with the Word of God, we need to be able to push that away. Matthew seven fifteen, Jesus said, "Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves." Paul, right here, like Jesus, is warning us of such people. In Galatians one eight through nine, it says, "But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed." As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. I do know if Paul says it two times in a row, right after each other, it's probably pretty important. See, there's only one gospel. There's only one truth. John 14:6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. 1 Corinthians fifteen one through 4 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. This is Paul speaking again to the Corinthian church. He says, Of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then Paul, once again in Romans 3.28, says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. In a nutshell, this is the gospel. That Jesus is the only way. He died for our sins and gave us his life. And we receive his gift by faith. And Paul says, that's the only way. That's the only one. That's the gospel. If anybody shows up and tries to tell you something else, you know what? I, let him be under a curse. You see, Paul dearly loved his flock. And he was fiercely protective of them. I mean, those are pretty harsh words. Let them be, be under a curse if they're going contrary to what I've already taught you. But Paul, he was jealous for his people. He wanted them to have the right stuff. Listen, listen to what he wrote to the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians 11, 1-4, he says, I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. The Corinthian church was having the same sort of issue. They're, putting, they're accepting another gospel. But Paul says, if they come to you with a different Jesus, they come to you with a different gospel, then we got a problem. He says, I feel a divine jealousy over you. I think as a, as, a, as a leader, as a pastor, that's the same attitude that I, I want to have and I have over the people of my church as well. There's a reason why you get phone calls from me during the week if you miss something. Because I want you guys to know that I, that I love you guys, I care about you guys, and, and I want nothing but the best for you. And I want anything to, to pull you astray, to steal from you what God has for you. And like I said, when Paul says, you know what, let me say it again, you can know that there's some truth to what he's saying, that we need to to basically listen up. He says, if anybody tells you something different, let them be accursed. And not only does he say, if anybody, he says, even if I show up, if we, even if I show up and say, you know what, I changed my mind, let me be accursed, he says, if an Angel from heaven shows up preaching you something different. Listen, this message is from God, and it can't be changed by any created being, me, somebody else, angels. It doesn't matter who comes and tells you something different. If it's contrary to the gospel that we have in the scriptures, then we should be turning and running away. In Galatians 1.10, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So he begins to tell them, you know what, if anybody else comes to you with something else, they need to be accursed. And the truth is, what I'm telling you, it may not be the popular opinion of the day right now. It may not be what everybody wants to hear. You see, the Jews at the time, when they're hearing this message of faith, they're kind of getting a little messed up. They don't agree with it. They're like, no, wait a minute. You have to follow the law. So what happened is, as Paul was part of that whole ministry at one point, he was dragging people out of their homes. He was, he was killing Christians. And he was standing against them. He was all part of that. And this is what the Jewish people at the time were thinking. They were thinking, you know what? This, this, the, the way is what they called these Christians. They're getting it all wrong, and they're causing us some problems. And they were standing against it. And that wasn't a popular message that Paul was preaching. Faith in Jesus alone was for salvation. And not only was it not just for the Jews, but it was for everybody, the Gentiles included. It wasn't a popular message. So some people came along and are like, you know what, we're going to do a little choose your own religion. And we're going to pick out the bits that we want and we're going to put them together and we're going to make everybody happy. See, Paul's message wasn't seeking the approval of man. Paul's message was seeking the approval of God. But these other people were preaching something that was going to make people happy. You know, you can have a little bit of the law and a little bit of of Jesus and we mix it all together and we just have a a fantastic fantastic religion that tickles our ears and makes us all happy. But Paul was never trying to make any one individual happy except for God. He wasn't trying to impress men. He wasn't trying to tickle their ears. He says, if I was trying to do that, I wouldn't even be a servant of Christ. Let me tell you, this isn't easy being a servant of Christ. There's a lot of people who are opposed to what I have to say. The truth is that Paul may very well have been converted and he was on board, but there were still many who were persecuting the church just as vehemently as he was. 2 Corinthians 5.9, it says, So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. That was Paul's attitude. My aim is to please God in all that I do. I don't care if somebody else doesn't like it. If God says it's so, then it's so. And eventually we know that this eventually gets Paul killed. He dies in a Roman prison as a servant of Christ. But he wasn't willing to push God away in order to make the people that were against him happy truth is, we face the same dilemma today. Do we shy away from sharing the gospel because we're afraid it might make somebody uncomfortable? That's one of the biggest things we have going on now is we don't want to tell anybody about Jesus because we don't want them to be uncomfortable. Or we don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't tell anybody about it at work because, oh, you could offend somebody. You're not allowed to do that. Are we, be, are we afraid of being thought as pushy? You ever heard that? You know, people don't want you to... Why are you trying to push your religion on me? I'm trying to push anything on you. I want you to be saved. I care about you. Or do we hold back because we think people might think less of us? The truth is, we're all going to give an account to God for how we lived our lives. In Romans 14, 12, it says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And Paul understood this, and he taught this, and he lived this says, you know what? I'm not trying to please man. I'm trying to please God. He's the one that I'm going to have to give an account of my life for. You know, we're going to one day stand before God and we're going to see what kind of life we live. Did we live a life that was pleasing to man? Or do we live a life that was pleasing to God and we hear His voice say, well done, good and faithful servant? Galatians 1, 11 through 12 says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now he's going to be going to say, you know what? I'm an apostle. And the word I delivered to you was as such the word of God. But I want you to understand that I didn't receive this from somebody else. It came from God. This isn't man's gospel. This isn't my gospel. This is God's gospel. You know the authority with which something is given has a great impact on the validity of the message being delivered right so just recently, me and Michelle got a letter from what looked like a government agency having to do with the laws changing with uh, uh, fHA loans and, and mortgage interest and our and our, our, our mortgage insurance rather and we get this letter and you look at it it's got this seal on the front of it it says something about uh it looks just like a government seal and the wording used is is even something to do with the the organization the the government organization that deals with interest and all those different things and the the Federal Housing Association and uh man, it looks like great news. They're like, man, the, the laws have been changed and we can do this, this, and this for you. And you're thinking that it's a government entity, entity sending you, it's the FHA sending you this saying that, hey, there's some changes, take advantage of it. But as I begin looking at the letter and the whole thing looks like a government letter and everything looks right. And then I look at the little seal and right underneath it, it says something like such and such mortgage, or mortgage company is, does not represent the federal government, yada, yada, yada. Turns out, it was just a, 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 an advertisement. They were trying to get us to refinance our loan. You know, if that had come in from the government, it has a whole lot more authority for me to go down and get some things changed versus really it's just a refi offer try, meant to trick me into thinking that it was legit, that it was something more than it was. Then we get a, another one just, just Saturday. Michelle goes, can you come look at this? I can't tell if it's legit or not. And I start looking at it, and it's the same thing. They look like they're official letters from the government. And this one's saying that there's been changes to the, to the uh, PMI law and that, that everything will be dropped half a point. So we're like, oh, they're letting us know that our insurance is being dropped. But no, if you look a little bit deeper and spend the time to look around, it's just another refinance offer. You know, the truth is that who, the authority by which something is delivered makes a difference of what it means. Those letters couldn't do anything for me because they had nothing backing them up. They were basically an advertisement. And the same thing is, is happening here. He says, you know what, the gospel that I have is not man's gospel. But it's, it's delivered from God. As such, it has authority. As such, it is the truth. But the gospel that other people, this distorted message that Paul said really isn't even another gospel, it's something entirely it's distorted. It's, you know, basically there's a little seal that says such and such organization does not represent the Word of God. they got to put a little disclaimer underneath their seal. Seemed to have a great offer. Their gospel seemed to be awesome, but it was fake. It had no authority. It wasn't the real deal. And Paul saying, you know what? My gospel is not man's gospel. We refer to it as Paul's gospel, but really it's not even Paul's gospel, it was God's gospel. What he was preaching came from God. It was given to him by Jesus. You know, Paul didn't go and listen to other people's preaching. He didn't go and and listen to, to Peter and the other apostles preach before he set out, but he received it directly from God. He didn't attend a special online course. And he didn't get ordained through through some online form he filled out so he could do marriages. And he didn't make it up himself. He's legit. He's the real deal. God sent him out. He received his message from God. And we're going to see in a couple couple, uh, slides here, we're going to see that he actually, as soon as he received it from God, he just went out and started preaching. He didn't visit the other apostles, he didn't go and check to make sure that other people thought he was doing the right thing. He received a word from God and he went out and preached it. And if his message is a divine message, if it's distorted or changed by others, then they're not just changing what Paul said, but what God has said. I don't know about you, but that seems to me to be a much bigger infraction. And then in Galatians 1, 13 through 14 he says, for, as we continue on, he says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. So Paul's basically going to spend the rest of this chapter defending and upholding his apostleship. Because The rest of the apostles, they walked with Jesus. They saw him get crucified and they saw him in the resurrection. But Paul was different. Paul was an apostle, but he didn't didn't go through the same. He didn't walk with Jesus. He wasn't one of Jesus' disciples when Jesus was on this earth. It was a little bit different situation. And the problem was the people basically going, you're not a real apostle. I know what you used to do. You can't be a real apostle. All the apostles, they were with Jesus. You didn't even listen to him while he was on earth. And basically they were, they were saying that Paul wasn't qualified to do what he was doing. They were trying to say that because you didn't walk with Jesus, because you weren't one of the original apostles, what you has to say has no validity. So he begins to make his case why well, his, his apostleship is every bit as valid as the, the 12 apostles. So he starts off with who he was before he met Jesus. He says, you know what? <clears throat> I persecuted the church violently and I tried to destroy it. He's like, listen, you guys know who I used to be, but let me paint you a picture. He mentions how he violently opposes the church. And if we look back at a few scriptures in, in, in the book of Acts, we'll see that, that Paul was doing some pretty nasty stuff to Christians. In Acts 8.1, it says, And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on a great day a persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered to the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. That was the, the, where it says he approved of his execution, that was the murder of Stephen. If you recall, Paul was holding their coats as they stoned Stephen. He was—he was very much a part of that. We find out that he drugged believers from their home, and he ravaged the church. Acts eight three says, "But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison." In Acts twenty six nine through eleven, it says, "I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name." of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He says, look, this is who I was. I was against the church. I was against Jesus. And also, not only that, but as far as as the Jewish religion was going, I was a Jew of Jews. He says that I was advanced in Judaism beyond many of my own age and among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. In Philippians 3, 4 through 6, Paul says this. He says, Though I myself has reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's a pretty bold claim. As far as the law was concerned, Paul was blameless. Paul had it all going for him. Now, if you take a look back, and and we look at this, and we realize that that wasn't the right way, but as far as Paul was concerned, as far as the Jewish community was concerned, he was in the right to be persecuting the Christians. He was a Hebrew of Hebrew. He was a Jew of Jew. He was advanced behind it. He had it all. He was moving up in the world. He had all all kinds of glory from the Jewish people. He had it all. If you you were to, to pick somebody you could live like in that time, Paul was one you'd want to pick because he had everything going for him. We also find out that he was a a Roman citizen by birth. I mean, Paul had it going on. But something changed in his life. Why would somebody that had everything switch his life over to the life that we see him live after he starts following Jesus? There was a radical transformation in Paul's life. He basically went polar opposite. And it's because he had an encounter with Jesus. In Acts 22, 6-8, he says, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you were persecuting. Paul went from one direction completely polar opposite to another because he had an encounter with Jesus. And you know what? Your life... Being different, your testimony can have a profound impact on other people. You know, if you say you're a Christian, but you live exactly how you used to live, nobody's going to give that any weight. But if, if you become a Christian and people look and say, man, you are not who you, used to, who you used to be. You are completely somebody else. They begin to see the impact that Christ can make on your life. And it actually will begin to, to make them want to see the impact that Christ might be able to make on their life as well. Lee Strobel, who used to be a, a one-time atheist, uh, says in one of the sermons that he preached, you guys know who Lee Strobel is? He's, uh, he's an ap- he's an athe- he was an atheist. And uh, he, he got involved in apologetics, which is basically the study of, of the history of the Bible. And he wanted to prove Christianity wrong, and he got involved in studying it. And ultimately, through his studies, he recognized that wait a minute, historically the Bible is accurate. And he gave his life to Christ. So he used to be an atheist. He was vehemently opposed to the church as well. But he says, My daughter Allison was five years old when I became a follower of Jesus. And all she had known in those five years was a dad who was profane and angry. I remember I came home one night and kicked a hole in the living room wall just out of anger with life. And I am ashamed to think of the times Allison hid in a room to get away from me. Five months after I gave my life to Jesus Christ, that little girl went to my wife and said, Mommy, I want God to do for me what he's done for Daddy. At age five, what was she saying? She had never studied the archaeological evidence regarding the truth of the Bible. All she knew was her dad used to be this way, hard to live with, but more and more her dad is becoming different. And if that is what God does to people, then sign her up. At age five, she gave her life to Jesus and God changed my family. He changed my world and He changed my eternity. You know, your testimony, your life being changed by Jesus can make an impact on somebody else. And that's basically what Paul was saying here. Listen, guys, you guys know who I was. What do you think happened? I had it all and I gave that all up to live this life. Why would I do such a thing? There's some validity behind what happened. My life has been changed drastically and visibly. So he continues on as he's defending his apostleship, and Galatians one 15 through 15-7, he says, But when he, he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. God had touched Paul. He delivered a message to him, and he, he was chosen to receive the gospel to deliver it to the Gentiles. And he was set apart, and by God's grace, like all of us, when we receive the grace of God, he was changed. And he goes on to say, You know what? I've been set apart from when I was born just for this purpose. You know, and the truth is, we all go through the same transformation. God has set each and every person in this room apart for a purpose. He has a plan for us. But until we have an experience with Jesus, we live our lives in in opposition to him. Just like Paul. But like Paul, God has set us apart and he calls us by grace and he gives us gifts and talents and abilities so that we can be a blessing to others. Paul's transformation was so radical and his his character was so well known that when he finally does make it up to Jerusalem to meet the other disciples in about 14 years, they were afraid of him. In Acts 9.26, it says, when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of them for they did not believe that he was a disciple. They knew who he was. This, was. this wasn't just a minor like he started going to church on Sunday. This was a radical transformation for Paul. And when Paul received the gospel, it says he immediately set out and began to preach it. He was a changed man and he wasn't wasting any time. And actually, what I find to be a great proof of of what he had, and I think the point that he's trying to make is, you know what? Is he says I didn't go and speak, I didn't go up to the other apostles, I didn't go see anybody else to make sure that I was on the right track because I'd received this message directly from Jesus, and I was going to preach it. And what I find amazing to me, and actually I shouldn't be amazed, it's God. But when they finally do get together a few years later, we'll see. Uh, uh I think it's fourteen years later in, in Galatians two uh, nine we see. That he says, when James and Cephas and John, Cephas is, is uh, a Peter, says, when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, res- perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnas- Barnabas and me so that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Basically, when he finally got around to, to comparing notes 14 years later, they went, yep, you're on the right track. To me, I mean, the reason it was the same gospel is because God gave it to both sets of people. To the 12 apostles, Peter, and the rest of them to preach to the Jews and to, to Paul to preach to the Gentiles. And it was the same message to both of them. In Galatians one eighteen through 20, we find out that, that he actually met Peter for the first time three years after he started preaching the gospel. And he met James as well. So those are the only two apostles that he's met in three years since he started preaching He's saying, you know what, guys, the message was from God. It's the same message they're preaching, but I've never seen them before. I've never talked to them before. I didn't know their message. But it's the same because it came from God. And this is important because he wants to ensure that, you know what, guys, I want you to understand that I didn't hear this message from somebody else. I didn't didn't get a, a tape sent to me from Peter preaching in the synagogues. CDs haven't even been invented yet, so you know it wasn't a CD. I didn't make it up to listen to them. My message came from God, and it's the same one that they're preaching. I think he's reiterating this truth. He says, you know what? In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. He goes, I get it. This seems unbelievable, but the truth is that we both received the same message. And if we receive the same message then that's proof that I, that I am an apostle appointed by God. What time do we got here? I think we'll finish up right here. And in Galatians 1, 21-24, it says, Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me so when Paul made his way to these these other churches in Judea he was still unknown they didn't know him he hadn't met any of these people they had heard about him this is what they had heard they said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the face he once tried to destroy all they had was his reputation and how he had changed but when they heard of his change, they began to glorify God because of him. And when it says they glorified God because of him, it had nothing to do with Paul, but everything to do with what God had accomplished in this man who was, it was terrorizing the church. In my head, I, I, like to, I, I view what Paul was doing as kind of a Christian holocaust at the time. The same thing that happened to the Jews by the Germans was happening to Christians by the Jews. They were being killed, drug out, persecuted. And Paul was a part of that, but God had changed his life, given him the gospel for the Gentiles. And they were glorifying God for what God had accomplished in him. Paul was a man who was once 100% against Jesus in the church, but now he was a man that was 100% sold out to the gospel. And he is a man that we can surely imitate and his words can be trusted because they're from God. And I'll, I'll, we'll leave it here on this story. It says, one of my young colleagues was officiating at the funeral of a war veteran. The dead man's military friends wished to have a part in the service of the funeral home. So they requested the pastor to lead them down to the casket, stand with them for a solemn moment of remembrance, and then lead them out to the side door. This he proceeded to do, but unfortunately the effect was somewhat marred when he picked the wrong door. The result was that they marched with military precision into a broom closet in full view of the mourners and had to beat a hasty retreat covered with confusion. The reason I want to look at this story because it illustrates a couple things. One, if you're going to lead people, you need to know where you're going. You don't want to lead them into a broom closet. And I think we can look at the life of Paul and recognize that he knows where he's going. He received his direction from God. And second, if you're going to follow somebody, make sure that you're following somebody who knows where they're going. And I think as we look at Paul's life and we, and we listen to his teachings and we follow and imitate him, we can be sure of who we're following because what he imparts to us, he's received from Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.